With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, and welcome to another D-Rays Bay podcast special. My name is Danny Russell. I am the managing editor of D-Rays Bay, and today I am joined by... Darby Robinson. And Adam Barry, the new slash returning beat writer for the Rays for MLB.com slash RaysBaseball.com. You will be reading his information constantly uh, from here until eternity on the Rays website. That's a really weird thing to say. I shouldn't have said that. From here to eternity. Time and space will fold. And the only constant after the heat death of the sun is Adam Barry on the beat. <laughs> This is needed. listen. It's a good prospect list. That's the point. He wrote up the Rays' top thirty prospects, and we go deep on this list. It's yeah. If you like prospects, if you want to hear about the number one system in all of baseball, this is the podcast for you. We will kind of cover everybody on that top thirty list and off of the top thirty list with some nice surprising names, and talk about whose stock are we buying, who diamond hands rocket ships to the moon as well as who we might see in 2021 for the Rays. And we also start the conversation talking about a very special Rays prospect. Today was the first day that Brent Honeywell Jr. returned to the baseball mound. It was honey day in the Rays blogosphere. Been waiting three long years for honey day to arrive. I mean, four, really? Yeah. His last pitch was in 2017. Already now, without one inning, maybe the one of the best stories of the spring. Probably the best story of the spring. It's the best story of the spring. It's I'm the story the of the spring. All it's of the baseball. only story you need to hear. All of baseball. So it's just honey. Anyway, but he honey had well, a fantastic outing. Yes, it was great. And uh, so we start out talking about Honey Day, and then we get into uh, kind of the Rays generally, and then very deep into the Rays prospect list. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> So today was a really big day in the Rays world. It was Honey Day. Uh, a lot of people are very emotionally invested in Brunt Honeywell Jr. Uh, through his injury history dating back to 2017, four separate elbow surgeries, and also just being this gregarious, wonderful uh, personality. Uh, but it's fans, it's players, it's staff. Clearly, everyone really, really cares about the guy. And today was his first day on the mound. What were your thoughts on his outing? Yeah, honestly, I think the most important thing is just that he was out there, period. I mean, 1,281 days since the last time he pitched in a game against a team wearing a different uniform, and that was in the AAA National Championship game. Uh, if you want to go through the lineup that the Durham Bulls ran out then, it's a real, like, remember some Rays type of lineup. Oh, no. No, um, do you have it? Do you have it in front of you? I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, anymore. If, I will, if I will you find it, it keep talking, talking. But if you find yeah. it, I want to I wanna hear oh, it. <laughs> I'll pull it up as we're talking here, but... I think the thing that stood out to me is just the 
enthusiasm everybody else had for Honeywell getting back on the mound. I mean, that meant something to a lot of people in the organization, in part because of, I think, like you said, what Honeywell means to all of them. He has been, I mean, Tyler Glasnow, when we talked to him before the game, said like Honeywell was like a leader in the postseason bubble last year, which seems crazy for a guy who hasn't pitched in a big league game, you know, much less in a game period in nearly you know, three and a half years. But he is that invested in his teammates. He's that passionate. He's that much of a baseball junkie that I think it really just, he is kind of in a lot of ways an emotional center of the clubhouse in a way that like Kevin Kiermaier and Willie Adamas are. Um, and I think that's reflected every, in that every time he pitches, whether it's in a backfield game or, or, you know, the way that he did today, everybody's there. All the players are out there in the stands. Like everybody's watching. Uh, Archer joked that like Bloom was there. And it's like, well, he was there because the Red Sox, but yes, he was also <laughs> there. I'm sure he was happy to see Brent Honeywell too. Um, I think the emotional impact of it is really the most important thing and what it means for Honeywell that he's not a rehab guy anymore. He's a healthy pitcher who's kind of on the progression toward, uh, you know, impacting the Rays at some point. Kevin Cash said he's going to do so in the not too distant future, which says a lot about the guy considering, you know, how little he's pitched recently. Um, And the stuff is back to me. I mean, we can talk about it when we get into the prospect list, but one of the reasons that he kind of fell down the list is just uncertainty over whether this stuff is going to come all the way back, especially the fastball, but he hit 95 on his first pitch today. Like that, that's pretty impressive. That says a lot. And you know, the changeup's still there. It's nasty. The slider I think is a weapon now and maybe a way that it wasn't before. Um, you know, it's a really interesting pitcher. And as long as he stays, he's one of those guys that like, as long as he's healthy and as long as he's able to take the mound, you can kind of count on him. I don't think anybody's done a discount Brett Honeywell simply because of how hard he works and how much they believe in him. I, I, really I didn't think we were going to see the the screw change, to be honest, or, or whatever it's supposed to be called. The screw. Everyone just wants to call it a screwball because it it is the most fun. But uh, if I just had four elbow surgeries, I'm not throwing that pitch. Right. Well, I think it is more just the change up now. It's like the change up with kind of that screwball action. And everybody I talked to said, like, that's his best pitch. Like, the screwball is really fun to talk about. Like you said, it's exactly that. It's neat. It's kind of a novelty. But, like, that change up is nasty. Like, that is a plus change up. And it, I mean, it gets swing, swing and miss all the time. Like, it was crazy on the backfield. Somebody said, like, every single one he threw in one live BP was swung and missed on. Like, it's, wow. that's a really nasty pitch. I pulled up that lineup, by the way, if you want me to do. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hit it. Oh, yeah. All right. Starting in center field, Johnny Field. Second base, Kian Wong. Willie Adamas at shortstop. Maybe you've heard of him. Jake Bowers at first base. Patrick oh, Leonard in left field. Shane wow. Peterson in DH. Daniel Robertson at third base. Justin Williams in right field. Justin O'Connor behind the plate. Wow. There are some names. There are some names on there. I think yeah. I just added a few more gray hairs, like feeling that that was just like a few years ago and that feels like forever ago. Why did Justin O'Connor just hurt me? <laughs> Bustin' Justin. I oh, haven't man. thought about him in years. That's why. You know, what's funny is there are some guys, um, like a lot of guys in that roster who were drafted or like prospects in the organization when I covered the team before I left to go cover the Pirates six years ago. <laughs> it's like really a big, uh, like I said, a real remember some Rays lineup. Slightly more familiar names. Ryan Yarbrough started that game and Diego Castillo got the save. So that's fun. Mm. Wow. That brings it together. And uh, so six years ago, so you are probably the the best equipped person to answer a very important question for me. Do Pirates fans just hate Rays people now? You know what? You cannot mention Tyler Glass now or Austin Meadows or Shane Boz or now Chris Archer without just like absolute fire and brimstone in your mentions on Twitter. Like it's, it's crazy to me that like 
you know, like when Tyler Glasnow was named the Rays opening day starter and tweeted out there. And obviously with my history of having covered the team, I still have a lot of followers from Pittsburgh and it's just like, it's, it's tough to see because it's, you know, it's the one that got away. It's like, he's so good now, or, you know, he's still like the sky's the limit for the guy. And then they just have nothing to show for it in return because Archer obviously didn't pan out and then ultimately came back to, to the Rays. So it's pretty much the worst case scenario uh, when you talk about that trade. And I think I've said elsewhere before is that like, you, know, you can talk about the trade and like what it means for the organization, but like pretty much everybody who was involved in that deal is no longer working there, which probably says a lot about the way that, that trade went down and what it meant. I, I like to think about rivalries and how they exist and, and how they function. Um, you have the long history of the Rays and their rivals. And I would say early on, it was the Yankees were number one, and then it kind of moved to the Red Sox. But then these natural rivalries kind of come up and Twitter is, is a breeding ground for it. Uh, you can kind of tell the animosity. And I just feel like the Pirates is like the next one. Like there's going to be a Rays Pirates rivalry forever. Uh, but maybe it's just seasonal and maybe they all come in waves. Uh, there was some kind of like Oakland fake rivalry happening because of the playoffs in, in 2019. And then that dissipated, right? Right. Uh, I just wonder if like once the Pirates get good, I feel like the Rays will be uh, the white whale or there's like that one team <laughs> they want to be able to show up. I think that would certainly be a team that like they would like to see at some point when they get good. And don't get me wrong. Like, I think there's a lot of smart people in that front office now. And like, they're, they're doing things the right way. They've learned a lot of lessons, I think from the way that the Rays do business. Um, and I'm sure that at some point they would like to make a trade and say like, haha, we've, we've done our Archer trade. <laughs> we'll uh, Daniel see. Hudson. That's wasn't that, wasn't that the pirates with Corey the Dickerson, gray? Dickerson Hudson, gray, and gray who homered today. And looks hey. like a pretty interesting minor league player. Um, like a big kind of randomly power hitting middle infielder who's probably a better shortstop now than he was when he got traded. So it's actually a funny story. I was I was covering the Pirates, obviously, when that trade went down. And I was, there's, you know, it's one of those days that I think it was like their, their golf tournament day in spring training, the last workout day. Um, you know, trade goes down. We hear Corey Dickerson, Daniel Hudson's on the way out, Tristan Grace. So we all go back into the clubhouse back when we could go into the clubhouse. And looking around, does anybody know Tristan Gray? What Tristan Gray might look like. And see a guy walking by us with his bag in his hand and goes, turns around to some other player and goes, I just got traded. We say, hey, that's Tristan Gray. <laughs> <laughs> and um, here he is now. Yeah. I had a similar experience with Brandon Lau uh, the day he was promoted. So I walk into the clubhouse and I'm looking around and I'm looking for Brandon Lau and I cognitively know what he looks like but i always see him with a hat or a helmet so seeing him without something on his head would be surprising and he was listed as six foot 185 on the like on raisebaseball.com like on the roster that's how he was listed when he was promoted and i'm looking around and i don't see him and so i walk over to a uh, a guy that i assume is a clubby <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> oh, Danny. And I didn't say anything, uh, but he just looks over me. He's like, "I'm so excited to be here." And I was like, "This is Brandon Lowe." <laughs> oh wow, and that's tough. Yeah, I was like, "I'm taller than you. This doesn't make sense." But good luck, buddy. And then it turns the out best power gets... hitter on the Rays. And I, uh, yeah, you wrote that article <laughs> recently, Dark. I did. I, I did. I was at the Blue Jays game when he, uh, him, and Austin Meadows were going to the 500 level. Um, it, it does not make sense to me. 
he had a pretty funny joke uh, this morning when we talked yeah. to him actually kind of about Honeywell. He was saying, you know, some, I think Mark Topkin asked him about like, how do you feel about the ball being dead? And as a hitter, obviously you don't like it. He says, absolutely not. And he says, I'm a singles hitter now, so I better work on my speed, but some, <laughs> somehow I think he'll be just fine hitting for power still. Yeah. Well, he's got the, he's got the secret weapon. Uh, his hitting coach is his wife. <laughs> and so he always has uh, his hitting coach right next to him telling him what he's doing wrong. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Toronto. Toronto's going to be playing in Florida. Has that been a topic of conversation? Not that much, honestly. I think it's just spring training, everything's so insular. You know, like you're focused on the story of the day, what, you know, what the team's got going on, the players that you are able to talk to. And this spring's so different, obviously, with not being in the clubhouse. There's yeah. less kind of shooting the breeze conversations like that that might come up. Um, I have talked to some players who have talked about the possibility of like the raised Blue Jays road trip where you just come to Tampa and kind of set up shop for, um, for a week or so in Pinellas County. But yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to tell. And also just the uncertainty of when they might be able to move back. Like, is this a month, is it two months? Mm -hmm. It's hard to tell. So spring training is so one day at a time, get on to the next one, you know, focus on opening day. And then once opening day arrives, like kind of your whole world opens up again. <laughs> hey, the regular season, like, let's talk about that. But still, uh, still a couple more days to go until we can worry about that. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like a bad baseball fan because I personally just hate uh, spring training because people will be like, oh, such and such person homered. It's now 6-4. Okay, homered off of who? <laughs> right, right. And like, and I, why does I, the score matter? I, I think it actually, it's really interesting to me and I kind of appreciate that Kevin Cash has even been pretty open about, about it. Like that their organizational focus is just like, don't come in and, and worry about what you're doing in spring training. Like we're not evalu evaluating you off your stats and whether or not you had two strikeouts or one strikeout today, or if you had a home run or a double, like, I, and I think it speaks a lot to the raise confidence in their own evaluations of players that like, they know what they have coming in. Certainly, you know, your, your eyes can be opened and players can improve over time, especially in spring training with all the hands-on instruction. But like, don't get caught up in whether, you know, they won or lost or who did what on a given day. Like none of you never, ever remember what happened in spring training by the middle of April ever, like never. So like, why are we worried about it now? Other than the yeah. fact that it is the baseball that happens in front of you. And like, there are neat stories that pop up like Brent Honeywell, like that yeah. matters because it's, it's significant. It's a story. Like, did I, I think Austin Meadows went over five today. Like who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Austin Meadows <laughs> is healthy. That is the part of this that matters. And Austin Meadows, when he's healthy is a good baseball player. So like, I'm not going to get caught up when a guy's spring training batting average, you know, it's, it's however many at bats split up over however many days, not playing every day consistently, not doing pregame scouting reports. Like I get it. It's the baseball we have in front of us. It's fun. It's good to enjoy. There are certainly moments and storylines that matter, but like, I cannot emphasize enough you should never get caught up with the spring training stats. For sure. Now you mentioned one of the things uh, is that 2021 is going to be very different, um, similar to 2020 in a lot of ways, but also a little different. The Rays through the offseason kind of definitely made some big changes, but have been really focused on the idea of multiple pitchers and seemingly focused on the idea of pitcher injury and pitcher health and getting people ramped up for 162 game season. So can you talk a little bit about that strategy? Is this the, is this like a big strategy that you think might be other teams thinking of this, or is this something that uh, just the way the market fell to them, the way their, their money situation is that this is just, they had to do. 
I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think when they traded Snell, you kind of heard from Eric Neander that like it's going to be a transitional year for the rotation, which it is because you're going to see Shane McClanahan at some point. You're going to see Luis Patino at some point, obviously as a result of that trade. Maybe Brendan McKay getting back in the mix at some point. Joe Ryan probably later in the year. The thing is, though, when you're in the race position and you are looking to contend year in and year out coming out coming off of a World Series appearance, you cannot count on that bridge arriving in April. You can't count on stepping off onto that bridge. So what they've done is they brought in essentially a lot of veteran pitchers to get them there. You know, Chris Archer, um, Rich Hill, Michael Walker, who's looked really good this spring. Um, not worried about the stats, but like the stuff has looked good. Uh, Colin McHugh, just arms to help them bridge the gap to those guys who can also just provide the innings that they need because, you know, you're not going to count on Shane McClanahan to throw 180 innings or Luis Patino to throw 180 innings. Or even if Charlie Morton or Blake Snell had come back, you, you weren't going to get 160, 180 innings out of that guy, out of those guys coming off of last year, just the, the jump in workloads wouldn't have worked. So what they have done, and I think is really interesting is essentially just throwing depth at the problem. And, you know, if it works out where you get Rich Hill's 80 best innings, fine like rich hills 80 best innings are probably going to be really good and that's all you should need if all of your depth pans out you know maybe you get 120 innings from michael waka fine then you're still going to have a guy to call up after that and hopefully fill the gap the rest of the way um and you know what if some of these guys click and they are able to work more great you know if shane mcclanahan shows he's ready in may great like that's a good problem to have um, so i think what they've done is a really interesting combination of bridging their own gap that they need to do in the rotation plus kind of trying to attack this industry-wide concern about pitcher workloads um, i'm curious to see how it worked out how it works out like you can't predict injuries i think they were a little bit spooked by the injuries they encountered last season and just kind of weren't expecting that and they were trying to over prepare rather than being caught shorthanded um, if, if something or a similar situation does arrive this year so it's interesting. You know, it's funny for all the talk that we had about like, you know, maybe it's going to be a crazy eight to 10 man rotation, like in February, like it's going to be a pretty traditional five man rotation to start the season. I just don't know where it goes from there um, as far as when the guys come up and how they fill those innings. Well, I remember in February, gosh, it might've been your first week on the raise beat, but uh, you were on raise the roofs podcast and you said something that stuck with me. And it was that either this strategy will be uh, 10 guys, all average a hundred, innings or it'll be like uh uh 10 guys throw exactly 100 innings is <laughs> one of these two things is going to happen right. uh, this group of pitchers either like a couple will succeed and then they all average 100 or some of them will just like share the load all the way across right because i think I, the i've been i've been fascinated by that idea the whole way through ever since you said that i was like oh well, well which one will it be <laughs> Right. And it could be anything. Like if Tyler Glass now comes out and shows that he has the health to throw 140, great. If he can throw 160, great. But you might not get 60 out of Rich Hill, depend, you know, based on his injury history. Right. And maybe you don't want to get more than that, given his age and, and all the concerns you have there. So, you know, are they going to divide it up evenly? Or are they going to, you know, go in shifts? Like there's so much unknown. Um, that you I really just wonder if it becomes a it. thing, because the last time the Rays felt uh, pushed into a corner, um, and instead of going to the free agent market to fix it in big spender ways, they just said, forget it. We'll put some relievers out there first, and then we'll roll with uh, Johnny Torinos and Ryan Yarbrough, and they can just pitch out of relief because they're not ready for the show yet to take that on all the way, and so we'll do something in between. And so I think there's a non-zero chance we get that, 
that if the Rays are succeeding and the pitchers are averaging like a consistent workload across 10 guys, Mm -hmm. then I think it might become like the next thing when really it's probably just the Rays going, ah, we can't do anything else. Right. And it's so unique to this year as well, but I would agree. I mean, the the tough part of that is probably going to be finding veterans who would come in and want to do that. Like, they've been fortunate with this group that like Michael Waka is just like such a high character, like plus teammate type of guy that like you said, fine, I'll do whatever. Obviously, you know, Chris Archer is the same way. Plus he's coming off of injury concerns of his own needs to kind of reestablish his value. Colin McHugh is such a versatile veteran, good teammate type of guy. Like Rich Hill is just all about winning a championship. Like they have found a really interesting mix of people to do this as well. Not just pitchers that like they are willing to say, Sure, throw a you know throw an opener in front of me. I'll go out and do it. Whereas you might have a tough time talking, you know, whether it's free agents or even some of your own guys into that in more normal circumstances. So it's probably a combination of both. But if it works, I do think it'll be a pretty interesting conversation to be had this offseason or next offseason. Before we get into prospects, we already had a conversation about how uh, spring training doesn't matter. But are there any players who are standing out for you right now? I mean, you've mentioned the quality of Waka. So that's kind of where my brain's going. Who else has really stood out to you? The health of Austin Meadows is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, when he's healthy, he's going to be good and he's healthy. Um, that matters pretty much more than anything else. He stood out. Manuel, Manuel Margot has looked really good. Um, there was talk, a lot of talk early in camp about how much more comfortable he is. And like he had such a terrible year personally off the field that like, it's amazing that the guy contributed even the way that he did, especially in the postseason, as good as he was um, just having to play through all that and deal with everything. But then there's been talk that he's more comfortable, that he's a little bit more receptive to some of the messages he's getting from, um, from the hitting coaches. And I think it's really showing he's looked very good. Um, trying to think off the top of my head where Michael Waka definitely mentioned Mike Brasso has looked really good. Um, he's mm-hmm. a guy who kind of wants to prove himself as an everyday type of player which those opportunities likely won't be there um just given the way that the rays work but you're just saying that because you're like doppelgangers <laughs> that's right noted <laughs> noted look alike uh <laughs> no he's uh what's brazo doing in the press box <laughs> or what am i doing on the field uh it's just that rays versatility <laughs> that's right i can do everything man this is a utility uh, player He's definitely looked good, though, um, and I think he's going to get a chance to, to show it with G-Man Choi out to start the season. Sure. Another Yoshi Tsutsugo has looked pretty good just physically coming in. Um, I know, again, the spring training stats don't jump off the page, but he's another one of those guys that, like, he came in in the first two weeks or three weeks of games or whatever. All he wanted to do was just track pitches and see as many pitches as he, as he could. And then the other day, he was kind of like, I've decided to start, like, participating in games, and he just, like, mashed to Nathan Evaldi fastballs, which was his biggest issue last year. So like, yeah. all right, if this guy could figure out major league high velocity fastballs, like all of a sudden he's pretty interesting because he looks athletic right now, maybe more so than I viewed him from afar last year. He's taken to first base really well. Um, you know, he's already a guy who can play third left field DH. So I don't know. I mean, that's one of those things that maybe we're being fooled by what we're seeing in a, you know, just as far as his physicality and his athleticism, but I think he's looked really interesting and certainly a guy that they're going to be counting on more uh, depending on how long G-Man Choi is out. So um, no good, good guys... baseball players adjust, right? Um, the thing he was robbed of was time. So I'm exactly. uh, coming into just tracking pitches is probably the best thing for him. But uh, the, the money ball conversation with Ron Washington is, is <laughs> a cliche at this point. Like, no, it's really hard to play first base, but I honestly, good baseball players figure it out. I feel like 
Right. And I, I know, Brasso me. also missed an easy grounder in, uh, when Honeywell was on the mound. So yeah, it goes both ways. Right. Well, I'm reminded of a conversation I had covering the Pirates about Jung uh, Ho Gong his first season when he came in and Clint Hurdle was talking about like, you know, the idea of struggling or whatever, when you come over, like this guy was the best in his league. Like you can't even imagine what that's like to come over and struggle when you've done nothing but just mash and be a star for your entire career. So throw that on top of just the absolutely bizarre circumstances of last season. It's like, yeah, like I'm sure that was really hard on the guy, but he's, he's coming and he's looked pretty good. Um, so he's definitely one who stood out as far as a, a guy on the roster. The other ones are kind of obvious. I mean, Shane McClanahan looked insane. Um, <laughs> whenever you're throwing 101, 102 with that kind of breaking stuff, uh, you're going to be good sooner rather than later. Uh, Wander Franco, I don't think that ball he hit has landed yet. So that one definitely stood out, um, having not really seen much of him in person. And then Tristan Gray, who we mentioned earlier, has uh, kind of stood out. And Kevin Cash said he's been um, kind of a standout performer as far as prospects go this spring. Okay, great. Not on the top 30, but maybe we should get into it. Yeah. Um, Really surprised you had Wander Franco for... I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm the expert putting Wander. Did you you just want to like put Patino or Randy one just so you could get all the headlines and like make, you know, blow up Twitter for a day? No. Well, the funny thing is actually putting together the list. Um, we can get into the process of it a little bit, but the, the top... Yeah, we should start there. After, after we're done talking about the generational talent in the race system, we should, we should get to uh, what the experience was, yeah. The, the top eight were kind of out of my hands as far as putting it together. Those are our top 100 guys on MLB Pipeline's list, which was put together before. So even if I wanted to be just like complete troll face, I couldn't be. And I did not want to be, just to be clear. I, I personally, I think there's an actual argument to be made to put Randy, number one, or Randy. I'm trying to work on these pronunciations because the race put the pronunciation guide up and it broke my brain a little bit to see that uh, uh, Randy says like Randy. And right. so I'm like, okay, so it's like Yandy Diaz. I already struggle with Yandy and Yandy because the Gandhi bridge has broken me. <laughs> and so every time I see it, I say Andy. And, uh, and, and I feel like maybe, maybe he doesn't care, but uh, a Rosa Reina just put up the greatest postseason performance of all time. I don't feel like it's absurd to say that guy has done it in the majors and the other guy has not. He could be first. This is uh, the Harold Reynolds argument that he makes against Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis at every available opportunity is, you know, <laughs> how can you say that this guy's better? He hasn't done it before. Randy has done it before. He's you yeah. know, done it on the postseason. He's already proven that he can hit these guys, but you know, the list is so much about uh, total future career value and the fact that Wanda Franco is 20 <laughs> gives him a pretty big head start in that department. All right. That, that, I just wanted to give a chance to all of my uh, sabermetrically inclined writers to be mad at me uh, for, <laughs> for agreeing with Harold Baines or whatever. Uh, okay. So what was the process like for you? So uh, coming into the new beat in January, it was something that I'd had intended to do, which was, you know, helping out with the list. Mike Rosenbaum is a guy who had done the list before Um, he was let go. And then the list fell entirely to me, um, which essentially gave me a second full-time job during spring training, at least the early couple of weeks of it. So uh, at that point I decided that, you know, I'm not necessarily a prospect expert or whatever, but what I am is a reporter. So I just tried to report the hell out of the list and basically contact every single person I know in baseball (laughs) to ask for their thoughts and evaluations on the system. And I had a ton of help from Mayo and Callis, who I mentioned before, um, really dug in as far as getting help from the Rays front office for their evaluations on these guys as well. Um, 
And so a lot of the early stages of it is just reporting. Sure. And it's well, I mean, so to, to pause right there, this is a good list. Thank you. We, we also at the site try to have the conversations, reach out to scouts if we can, talk to people in the front office and who work for the team or, or I've watched the players play live, not just on YouTube uh, or Twit video or whatever the, uh, the Twitter calls it. Like we, we try to do the legwork. We try to do the reporting as hobbyists uh, for fun. And sometimes you learn tidbits or things like that. And you very well reported on a lot of information that uh, is out there if you ask around. And I felt really comfortable. Your list was really close to uh, our site's list. Not that that's the barometer, but I was just intrigued by how, um, you know, was there a symmetry of information or do we just both have really good opinions? <laughs> well, yes, um, but also probably more the information thing. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I think what's really interesting too is that when I was kind of going about it is that everyone's so eager to talk about the race system because it's so good that like mm -hmm. you could go to everyone and everyone has scouted the race system because there's so many guys and it's so deep and everyone looks at the system is like, well, maybe we can get like their 45th best prospect because he might not have a path to playing time. So we got to you know, really do the legwork on the scouting front and evaluate everybody that we can. And uh, I think that does create a lot of information out there about the guys who were being written about. Um, and it certainly helped me as far as reaching out to people in the industry and uh, trying to create a consensus. Because that's the other part of it is like, you can't just take the team's word, you know, as helpful as the Rays were because you don't know who they're trying to, you know, <laughs> evaluate or, or, you know, pump up or whatever. But, you know, you have well, to Sometimes you can tell, as well. uh, well, you, you pull up some websites and you're like, yeah, the, 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 the team told you that. <laughs> <laughs> but I will okay, say, uh, Great were... example, great example is uh, Xavier Edwards uh, in your write-up. Um, that was actually one of the things I sticky noted electronically. Uh, the Rays think Edwards will develop more pop as he gets stronger and, and learns to generate more bat speed, but even then he's unlikely to offer uh, anything more than well below average home run power. Right. Uh, do they think he's going to add pop? <laughs> sure. I mean, everybody does. Like, right. <laughs> you don't look, you don't look at any player and say like, well, this guy kind of is what he is. I guess that's fine. <laughs> you know, like, especially somebody that you really believe in, the athleticism um, mm -hmm. and the feel like you do just always have the sense that like this guy's going to gain muscle as he gets older. I mean, he's 21 years old. Like he has not developed his full like adult strength yet. Like guys do get, I mean, Greg Jones put on 10 pounds last year and added a ton of power and added loft to his swing. And that made him a different prospect to a certain extent. So like, you know, Xavier Edwards is not going to be a power hitter, but could he have, 35 power or whatever instead of 30 or 40 power instead of 30 like you still have to hope hold out hope for that just as player development people now whether or not we have to believe that is a separate issue but certainly they can they can hope that and believe that it's coming for them yeah edwards is an interesting test case or, or litmus test for who you get your information from <laughs> um yeah I, or keith law for instance is on his island and sometimes has his own uh, hot takes. And he, I think he called Edwards like a future all-star. I was like, are we sure? Mm. Um, it, and it's interesting because I think everyone looks at Xavier Edwards and sees something slightly different. Um, and the truth is he's a prospect. Prospects will break your heart, but you know, maybe he'll be really good. Maybe he will be an all-star and that'd be exciting. Right. Um, but it, it was one of those moments uh, where 
the Rays say. I was like, yeah, that's that's probably the right way to couch that statement. <laughs> right, right. Well, because you know, you certainly want to value their opinion. And again, they have the most firsthand looks at them than anybody, and they've seen the guy and they know more about his information and his makeup and things like that. Um, it is just important to sometimes couch where information is coming from as opposed to this is, you know, written down, you know, from on, on atop the mountain, written down in stone, like this is this is what it is and this is truth. But that is pretty interesting. And talking about like everybody seeing what they want to see and things could change. I think the smartest thing I heard from anybody while I was putting this entire list together is that it's so hard to evaluate prospects now because they're changing so much. And that is the era in which baseball is right now. It, it is, you know, the player improvement age. And you see, uh, we talked off the air about Drew Stratman coming in, like he wasn't on anybody's radar probably this time a year ago. And then he comes in and he's healthy and he develops a cutter. And all of a sudden he's 22 on our list and protected from the rule five draft. You know, it's, that's sort of the story of modern baseball is player improvement. Yeah. So one of the things when I'm looking at this list and it's, Oh, after a while, when you start to read like baseball America's list and you read like Eric Longenhagen over at Fangraphs or Kylie McDaniel now with ESPN, you kind of get a sense of like what people's eyes are, you know, Jonathan Mayo and Callis, like kind of see where, like, are they, upside are they the ceiling are they really like a nice stable floor with with some upside pop so for you if you could evaluate yourself when you're looking at guys do you tend to see like high floor and that kind of tends to give you a little extra bump or or do you like the you know all risk it for the biscuit like bruce arians and want that uh high ceiling so i think i am biased personally toward floor which is something that i kind of had to fight against when doing this list because like i look at josh fleming and he's in, like to, to the, to the Randy argument, like he did it. Like he was successful in the majors. Like you already know what he is. Like this, this guy's good. Like, I don't, you know, we haven't seen JJ Goss do it in the majors. Like, how do we know that he's going to be better? But you do have to evaluate, like I said, long-term future career value and say that, all right, you know, maybe that's as good as Josh Fleming's going to be. And maybe he's a four or a five, but there is still the hope of the upside of the Goss or a Seth Johnson being a, a two or a three or whatever. So therefore you have, you know, and they're younger and they haven't proven it yet. So Maybe you give them the slight bump based on upside, but that, that is a, that's a really good question because that is something I fought against a ton doing this list. Like I look at uh, Josh Lowe, for instance, he's 13 on, on the list we put together. And I, I felt like that was low, um, but it was kind of just based on, because in my opinion, he's a guy who has both a high, uh, the rare high floor and high ceiling because his floor just based on his athletic tools is a fourth outfielder. Like that's a guy who with the, the fielding and, and, uh, the arm and the speed, like he's going to have a spot on a major league roster somewhere. But I ran into a lot of scouts and evaluators with questions about the bat and whether or not the bat was going to come along enough to be an everyday guy. It's like, okay, fine. But if it does, then he's a legitimate everyday center fielder. And that ceiling is higher than frankly, a 13th best prospect in the system should be, you know, being an everyday quality center fielder with that kind of athleticism, potential hit tool. So that is the challenge of it is trying to balance floor and ceiling. And I don't think I have a good answer as to how you do it. You just try to build as much consensus and kind of find the middle ground, um, which is. I go in the same circle on Josh Lowe specifically. Cause like, well, if the bat improves, uh, that is like a legit starter. Well, if the bat's improving, that's because he's added power, which probably means he's bulked up, which probably means he's not a center fielder. So <laughs> is that good? Yep, <laughs> and then, yep. And then it's just uh, you're going around the drain. <laughs> yep, I had that exact conversation, that literally that exact conversation with another evaluator. It's like you know if he adds the power, like maybe he's not going to stick in center. If it is that profile play in right field the same way that it doesn't play in center, and it's like <laughs> the conversation I had more than anything else doing this is 
with evaluators and scouts saying, I'm glad we just have to evaluate them, not rank them. I'm like, well, thanks. It's literally my job right now to rank them. Um, and, you know, just the, well, this guy keeps changing. So, you know, you, it's tough to evaluate when they keep changing so much. So it's, it's a fun exercise. And it is funny because it, it's, I appreciate that you guys have read the blurbs and looked at the blurbs as well, because when you do this, you put so much work into that and the grades and all that part of it. And then people just look at it and they see the list and they're like, well, this list is crappy. Like your order is wrong. And like, there's a lot more that went into it. <laughs> I have numbers. Orders. Right, right, right. <laughs> There were, there were two cases where the numbers uh, jumped out at me, the, the grading, not just the overall future value grade, but mm -hmm. I started looking at it and uh, I started doing a comparison in my mind. So one of those was Edwards to um, Basa Bay. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to hope I'm saying that right. Please forgive me, Oslevis, uh, if that is how you say your first name. Uh, super excited about him. He seems very similar to Edwards overall. Uh, the hit tool's close, the run tool's close, the field tool's close, he's got more power, his arm is better. Uh, and yet that's a 45 grade instead of a 55 grade for Edwards. And then I felt super conflicted um, for, for the context of our conversation. Our writers list is actually four people, average mm. uh, uh, appraisals together so that we're not coming out with just like, this is Danny's opinion. Um, and we're all trying to do our own research and we hope that makes a better list. But I was the one pounding the table for Basabe because I was like, he's not that different. Yeah, he's a guy who, to me, when we do the midseason re-rank, could take a pretty big leap based on games played. I mean, that's part of it. It's just that he hasn't mm -hmm. have a ton of professional experience and he hasn't quite proven the tools to the extent maybe that, that Edwards even has. Um, and we're also, a lot, of, a lot of the times when we do the tools, we're talking about future potential we don't necessarily do like current future we focus more exactly. on future um and so it's called a future value grade yeah exactly yeah so like well I, I don't even know if we have that written in the thing which is one thing that it was actually a question i asked when i was doing this like are we talking about right now because like some of these kids probably have like 25 game power right now but like they're hoping <laughs> that they're going to project you know because they're 17 and they you know they're not playing in you know, professional baseball or, or you know full season baseball yet so it is trying to keep in mind that you know maybe he's a little farther from having reached the the tool grades than than Edwards seems to be at this point so that that kind of explains the disparity there part mm -hmm. of that was also just that um, it was pretty clear in the conversations uh, that I had around the industry that uh, Alberto Hernandez was the the first piece in that trade yeah. in the Nate Low trade and then all right he's 15 if he's valued less in the Rays eyes um, then then than Hernandez is and like how far do we have to drop him down and where does he fit mm -hmm. in all this and where does he fit? you also do like the, the the game with yourself where you're saying you're basically just ranking within your own list you're saying you yeah. know it's would you take Basabe over Alika Williams like yeah probably in the long term would you take him over Alejandro Pa like I don't know the to finish out this idea there was another one and also in in our comment section some people were, were trying to make a comparison between Greg Jones and Alika Williams. And that was a moment where I was like, hey, you got to read the write-up because you actually did the research on that. But the thing that, like Greg Jones was never going to get traded this offseason, for instance, even though he got mocked a lot, maybe even sometimes at our site, because he was constantly changing, as you mentioned, and now he's developing power, which as you mentioned. And those that's a situation where I feel like people look at those two and they're like, ah, it's basically a first round shortstop why can't I treat them the same but they are significantly different players at this point in terms of bat speed loud contact 
yes. I think there are still a lot of questions about whether Alika Williams is going to be able to impact the baseball enough to not just have the power to play every day, but also even to kind of get to his hit tool to a certain extent. You know, is he, is, are these balls going to be off the ground? Are they going to be able to find gaps and stuff like that? Or is Greg Jones developing the power, adding a little more loft to the swing? I think has changed his evaluation in a lot of people's eyes um, just as far as what he could become. And you also know that like, maybe there's a path to playing time in center field with him based on the athleticism. And Williams has, has the floor again, of like a really good defensive shortstop, but uh, the comparison I made that I heard conveniently enough for me, cause I knew the player was Kevin Newman uh, with the pirates. And it's like when Kevin Newman hits for average, he's an everyday shortstop. When he doesn't, he's a bench player at best. Um, and mm-hmm. that to me is kind of where Alika Williams falls. Whereas Greg Jones so, is obviously more, more there. Yeah. Since we brought up the Nate Lowe trade, um, let's talk about the guy that was the top of that, Eriberto Hernandez, listed as a catcher slash right fielder slash DH. Those are very different outcomes. I mean, the bat, the numbers in the minors, the write-ups, the scouting is unbelievable. It's one of the, yeah most exciting bats in, in all of minor league baseball, that position though, if that comes in a catcher, holy crap, right fielder still love that bat. So what, what's the status of him as a catcher? They're going to try him out. They're going to give him every chance. The sense that I got is that they think he has like the tools and the athleticism to do it. They just, he's, he's raw. I mean, he hasn't had a, a lot of maybe instruction uh, in the sense of where he needs to get better. And I think they're pretty confident in what they can do once they get their hands on him. Um, just improving him behind the plate. And he's another guy that like, let's say there's an electronic strike zone. All of a sudden you're going to see a lot of DHs behind the plate. <laughs> and he's a guy who would play pretty well there. If he can just figure out the basic, you know, kind of catch and throw right. stuff a little bit better, but they are really excited about the bat from the sense that I've gotten. I know I talked to other people who saw him um, in complex league ball, who said just what he was doing with the loud contact and the exit velocities was really special. Um, so the Rays are basically just going to give him every, path to playing time and I think you'll probably go down the position spectrum you'll go catcher all right does this work cool if not right field this work if not first base if not your DH but they still believe in the bat enough to have had him be the lead piece in that trade between Hernandez Heriberto specifically uh Ford Proctor trading for Mejia why do the Rays think they can just teach anyone how to catch hubris maybe no (laughs) electronic strike zone coming a lot sooner and they have the inside information that's honestly like i do think that a lot of teams are making some evaluations for future catchers based on that it's just the idea that like let's take a chance and if this works out cool but yeah i think they're also just buying into the bat as well that like they think he he's could still be the guy um that he was a prospect in cleveland system before he was even in san diego um i think they like they like the bat, and they think he's, again, got, like, the basic tools and athleticism necessary to be a, a, a good a good catcher back there. And one thing they want him to do, I think, is be a little bit more vocal with the pitching staff as far as game planning and stuff. Like that, Mejia. That was, yeah, Mejia. That, I think yeah. that was a little bit of a knock on him that he was, like, kind of passive as a game caller um, before. And so they've really encouraged him to, to be vocal and talk through game plans. And it, to me, it's it, it has stood out that he's worked really well with Michael Walker this spring because Walker is a veteran who's come in with ideas and said, this is what I want to do. This is what I would like to, to work on. Um, and, and I think it's worked out pretty well for him. You know, how well is he going to be? Is he going to be a plus catcher? Like, I don't know, probably not. But if he can even be serviceable with the, with the upside of his bat, then 
He's an interesting player. And the same thing with Proctor, kind of a catcher conversion. Somebody I just wrote about having played in the Australian Winter League. Mm-hmm. They love the makeup of that guy. Like the the fact that he basically said, like, I realize that my path to playing time is blocked in the infield. What can I do? Like I'll catch. Um, that stood out to them. And I heard some people say, evaluating the organization from outside, that like he might have been their best catcher in, in instructs by the time it was all said and done. And that mm. was that was pre Blake Hunt. Um, right. But that's still a pretty interesting player um, if he's able to stick behind the plate. Well, electronic strikes. I mean, instructs though. Uh, I I gave Eric a bunch of crap about this too. How much can you trust improvements in non-competitive situations? Blake Hunt picking up a new swing in 2020 is the most nerve wracking thing I can think. I mean, trust your scouts, trust your people. If they think it's legit and uh, Eric's argument, his rebuttal to me in that was, uh, well, he came into power too. (laughs) Is that, you know, that's not something you can fake. Uh, So he, he had a lot of faith in the bat, but he should, he traded for him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. What's your appraisal on Hunt? So the thing that stood out to me in talking to people is that they had believed in the swing before. They just didn't know if there was necessarily going to be the impact and the power. And then I joked about this with Jonathan Mayo. Two different people used the word strapping to describe the way that he looked at instructs, like physically. <laughs> so the point that I think I used the word in the write-up, because I said, if one person had said it, I don't think I have to use strapping. That's weird. If two people say it, I am required to say that he looks strapping. <laughs> strapping um, it's just yeah, but he's you know he's a big physical catcher, the kind that you do expect some power from, just the way that he's built. Um, and I think they're also they were really big believers in the defense before. They thought that mm-hmm. it, at worst he was going to be like a really quality defender, catch and throw type guy. And then they did see the physicality change, which you know you can kind of shake your head at it and wonder like, all right, well, how much is that really going to change his profile? To which I would say, have you seen Randy Rosarena? <laughs> what was he? What was he heading into quarantine? What was he coming out of quarantine? The difference is essentially the physicality and the way that his body changed and the muscle that he had and the fact that he came in and all of a sudden he was strapping and he's able to hit the ball in the air and more power to his game as well. So that turns an interesting player, you know, kind of maybe a high floor backup type reserve into a much more interesting player. Um, and I, I think that's where you have to trust your scouts is not judging results in instructs, but what they're seeing. And that is the value of having scouts ultimately. The full quote is Hunt is a big strong strapping presence at six foot four his height and strapping in there so it was a a brief (laughs) moment of pride i think that there are times where you're doing these things and you know it's three paragraphs about 30 guys and it's i think let me open the doc here for how long that actual write-up was oh for sure i'm 11,362 words of prospect (sighs) write-ups so the fun i had of it i think was the strapping and then there is a very brief Simpsons reference in the Taj Bradley write-up that he would not be a Gamecock. I, that one actually <laughs> went over my head. I feel bad about it. <laughs> but it was true. He wouldn't be, he didn't go to South Carolina. He would not be a Gamecock. We, we've talked a lot about some shortstops, but we have to talk about the guy who's maybe gotten as much hype or up there with like Wander in terms of just not necessarily hype, but talk. Like everybody, everybody has mentioned out. Taylor Walls. Everybody is talking about Taylor Walls, and he comes in number nine on your list. Nice aggressive ranking. Like we said, this is this is you know some we had him pretty high up. It might have something to do with our editor in chief going to Florida State as well. 
Who knows? There might be some. Oh no! Uh, who knows? There might be some of that there. Adam went to Florida. Oh, oh yeah, I'm a Florida guy. Florida man. Yeah, that, well, I'm I was going to try not to go there. there. So did my dad. Yeah. I, I'm the black sheep of the family. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Taylor Walls, number nine. Yeah, the secret's out. Apparently, everybody. Well, so it, it wasn't a total secret. He was the defensive player of the year twice. Yeah. Uh, I don't. If they had awarded it in 2020, I'm sure he would have won it again. Right. It's not like it was a secret that he was really a good defender, but the fact that he was the real deal, the full uh, as a switch hitter who was hitting well in instructs, you know, again, take it or leave it. Right. Uh, but a player who came into his own at this point, uh, if the Rays had traded Adamas as the rumor eventually got out there, uh, I would not have been surprised because there's an answer in house ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, that a was a 65 grade on his defense. And that's a 65 grade as a shortstop. That is eye-opening. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, Kiermaier, the infield talk when you hear about him. Is it like, you know, maybe if you just watch him one time, it doesn't necessarily stand out. But over time you see him and it's just this guy makes plays that other people don't make consistently. And he, you know, he does the routine play routinely. Like it's all of the praise that you hear about every defender wrapped up in one guy um, at a mm-hmm. premium position. And then again, it's a it's a high floor type profile because the on base percentage is going to be so good that even if it stays gap power um, as a switch hitter, that's a really useful player. Uh, you know, even if even if there's not a path to everyday playing time at shortstop because of Juan Franco or whoever else, like this is a really interesting player, and the industry as a whole saw it too. I think that was one reason I was probably a little bit more aggressive in bumping him up the list was not just what the Rays said about him, which as you've probably heard is you know, just mm-hmm. praise like crazy. It's, you know, they, they love everything he does. Elite um, footwork, God's gift to defense. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was outside the organization. People saying that like he might be a top five guy in their system based on our evaluation, or he hmm. should be a top 100 prospect on your list. And I said, I didn't make the list. Please don't judge me about the top 100. Um, <laughs> there was just so much praise from inside and outside the organization, especially when it's coming from outside and how he's valued you can also learn a lot about this player's value as far as who's being asked for in trades, I think. Exactly. And, yeah. So that's exactly where my brain was going. It, it's definitely a player at this point that other people ask for. Right. Because they see, well, you got Wander, you got Willie, you got a lot of guys, you know, a lot of just nothing but middle infielders in the system, potentially blocking playing time. You know, this is a guy who could be had and certainly that's going to come up a lot. And the fact that the race have kept him, obviously I think says a lot about how they, they view him and, Combine all of that, and I think that goes into the uh, into the. What's the future point. infield? Departing the list for a hot second. If you oh. had to look into your crystal ball, what is the future infield? One point five years from now, when it's just prospects. The toughest one there to do is first base, isn't it? I know. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's. I, I don't know why I'm trying to start there because that's the hardest one to do. But you mm-hmm. probably have. Wander at third. Yeah, Taylor that's Wilson. where I'm at. Taylor Walls at shortstop. You could do Bruhan at second base. I find what they're doing with him trying to basically make him tell Marte really interesting. Cause, mm-hmm. but then like they have so many outfielders too that like maybe you don't need him to be an everyday guy in the outfield. So I, I pencil him at second base, um, and then somebody playing first base. It works <laughs> itself not, out. Maybe Hernandez isn't going to be there in a year and a half. Um, Kevin Padlow. Will still be around at that point, I would suspect. I feel like he's the next trade chip. 
following in the footsteps of uh, Nick Solak and Nate Lowe, I'm sure the Rangers are very interested in Kevin Padlow. <laughs> the, the only thing, the only reason I'm hedging against that, because I do think that makes sense, especially as they get toward the end of spring training and you might need to clear out a 40 man spot for a non-roster invitee on the pitching staff, that it might make sense to move a guy like that. But just given the injuries and, you know, you're now a, a Yandy Diaz, like, slip on a base or a Yoshi to go slip on a base away from like Kevin Padlow playing a pretty prominent role on your roster um, pretty soon. So major league ready depth is important. And he certainly seems to be that. I want walls up. I, I agree. Shortstop of the future. Well, but then you go through the list and there are just but so many shortstops. Fair. of the future. But Greg Jones is in show. <laughs> well, actually, well, Greg Jones could be here. So I said a year and a half. So is it possible that mid 22 greg jones is ready sure i would it would be the most surprising thing that's ever happened i would guess 23 but yeah if if he's just lights out in the minors right that was the other tough part of doing that is the etas that go on the on these lists like after last year you're really just kind of like throwing (laughs) your hands up and say i don't know man like we'll see when they come into to, to start playing where they are the the only ones that you feel really good about really are the 2021 guys and there are a ton of them um yeah. because you know that they they're on the verge of helping out uh, very soon and that was that was tough but like when you're i mean we put 2025 on i think bitsko and mm-hmm. colmenares and it's just like the year 2025 is like an abstract concept in my mind right now. Like I can't yeah. imagine what ba- the Rays, much less like baseball, much less the world looks like at that point. But you know, you're, you're projecting forward and trying to. I did appreciate you had the classic MLB pipeline uh, first round draft picks go like in the top 10. Now this is a deep system. So uh, there's a little bit of pushing down, but Bitsko and Wilcox are, uh, I guess, 12 and 11 respectively. Yeah. I was like, it's a pipeline list. You have to do that. Right. Well, one thing we actually try to be mindful of, um, and I think it speaks to Colmenares being 18, despite how new he is, and uh, Jan Diaz being 30th, is we've done a lot of looking at where stars come from and where impact players come from. And it's overwhelmingly at this point, like the international market is so well represented among like the best players in the game. And it's like, are we doing our part in that and accounting for them on the way up? Because the easy thing to do when you're talking about an international prospect is like high floor, low, you know, or high ceiling, low floor. We'll see what happens. And, you know, we'll get to you when they're in AAA and we have a little bit of a better idea. But trying to project out a little bit more, um, which is why you see those guys on the list. And you still do have to account for kind of following the money uh, with a guy like Wilcox and another guy like Bitsko. That if a team is willing to pay that kind of signing bonus, they clearly believe in the potential and the upside. And therefore, we kind of have to judge accordingly. Bitsko is a tough one to place on this list. I mean, we put him 12 because of the upside, but coming back from a surgery, mm-hmm. it's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I could just as easily have flip-flopped to take it back to the start of the entire conversation, Honeywell and Bitsko and put Honeywell 12. Cause like if he comes back all the way, he's still every bit the high upside guy that he was before. There's just less time to, mm-hmm. uh, to prove it and to play that, you know, at that level, uh, given the fact that he's 25 now, but it, it's tough, man. It's an inexact science, and you have a lot of questions like that. Uh, injuries, and, you know, I, we ranked Seymour um, above Williams, and I got some crap for that. We're like, well, <laughs> which one did they just pick first? Which one did they just pick ahead of the other one? And now right. you know, go ahead and do this. But that, that's where, again, prospects are constantly changing, and the information's changing, and you try to balance it all to the extent that you're able. So let's move it back to the 2021 and keep yep. it focused, because there is a lot 
of like the uh, list of people who prospects in this deep, deep system that are pretty much ready. And again, like you said, with last year, that sort of makes things a little bit tougher. Like a guy like Wander Franco hasn't played above double A. He hasn't played a single game of double A yet. Like, so that does kind of push his timeline a little bit off. But let's talk about a guy that did appear in the majors and a guy that really took the storm your number two and number three, the tougher spot. Cause Wander's number one, everybody it, he's, you know, generational, maybe the best prospect ever as prospects go. Okay. Uh, of the last decade. <laughs> I mean, we're, some people have talked ever. about like Bryce and yeah, I mean, we're t- number ones overall back to back. That's, that's a debate. That's a weird debate for people many years because it's just prospects and we'll know in the majors what happens, but that can be a fun debate. Like JJ Cooper and, you know, callous and, and all the prospect heads. Can talk yeah. About. Yeah. Mayo. Um, but number two, number three, Patino or Rosarena back to Danny's point, Randy merges superstar goes from being a kind of a middle of the pack prospect when the Rays acquired him mm-hmm. to breaking Barry Bonds postseason records. Amazing. Luis Patino, one of the top right-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball, one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, unbelievable electric stuff. Mm-hmm. he's number two on your list ahead of randy so can you talk which is not you're doing we're just Pitino. recognizing that right this is, this being is that. given that ranking and needing to write up patino do you one agree with that in your own if you could rank them and two can you talk a little bit about where patino fits in to this 2021 because he was up last year mm-hmm. in a smaller role because padres were, had no pitching at all and he did leapfrog <laughs> Mackenzie Gore in that call up. Mm-hmm. So what do you see his role is here and and how do you in your own personal list put Patino and Randy? Yeah, that's tough and I think they're both I think we had them both at 6. Now well, we had Randy at 55 overall future value. Again, that wasn't my call totally in the end there, but to me they could both be 60s and Patino probably gets the edge cuz he's just younger. You know, there's more time for him to to tap into it and the value of a potential number one, number two type starter. Um, they're, they're probably a little more rare than an outfielder with for power, but then again, I'm about to run myself in circles. Like what if they hit for Randy's power last October over a full season, those guys <laughs> throw on trees either. So how much more valuable is that than your average number two starter? You can work yourself silly trying to straighten out <laughs> mm-hmm. these logical knots in your head. But to me, Patino is just because the stuff is so electric. The upside is that of a top of the rotation type pitcher um soon you know he could be i suspect he's one of their next men up as far as the rotation goes you know if fleming doesn't make the bullpen he'd probably be the next one up McClanahan is on that list and then it's probably patino based on the major league experience and the, the quality of the stuff um i think he could break into the big leagues in any number of roles this year whether it's a multi-inning reliever a bulk guy um you know a starter a quasi starter based on the way that they're going to use pitchers this year um, but I think the the hope there is that there is still just that that upside that eventually he's going to establish himself as a top of the rotation type starter. Um, and whether they can ease him into that kind of role this year, probably more likely. Um, but they definitely like the guy. The industry's been high on him forever. I mean, when you have that kind of fastball, that just a swing and miss electric, like top of the zone type fastball, then you know you already have the makings of a really good uh, starting pitcher with the rest of his arsenal. Is that the Adam? Barry appraisal or is that the industry appraisal? Both. <laughs> I'm okay. pretty much on board uh, with, 
with it's what fair. They have to say I I am really nervous <laughs> when it really? when people say this is this is a frontline starter, a potential number one. I'm like, ah, the track record is really short. And right. I mean, he's adding strength, right? He's hitting 99, but then I just watched him do it in the postseason, and it was, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I mean know. the the I whole know. like there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. Like that's real, but like eventually at a certain point you do have to bet on some of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> you try to, you try to take the safest bets and to me, Luis Patino Safe is bet. another one of those with the, the high floor, high ceiling. El Electrico. El Electrico. That's right. Like worst case scenario, he's going to be like a dominant late inning arm, right? Like that's your worst case scenario just mm-hmm. with the fastball that he has. And then best case, he figures it out. The commands there, the, the off speed stuff all comes along to complement the fastball. And he's a legitimate top of the rotation type starter. Yeah, that's that's tough. And again, like going back to the what do you value thing, like if it was just me, like I'd probably just have like position players in the top 10 spots because it's like these guys yeah. are safe. You know what they're going to be like? It's it's pretty easy. You know, it's easier to predict position player health, but you do have to take some bets with pitchers. I would have liked to move Shane McClanahan up personally um, mm. if I had a little more control. Of the that's top interesting because I, I think and then, uh, that's another one, too, that he changed a lot in the offseason, you know, the, mm-hmm. the slider. Um, command that he showed coming into spring training was really impressive just the strike throwing the commitment to the zone um, the fact that he is just casually 101 right out of the shoot in spring training like that's a really interesting picture to me and if that all plays out then like i'm probably gonna look stupid in a couple years having had him number six even in this system mm-hmm. him, him and patino are interesting because they did like to Dan's point like they both struggled in their very limited time in the majors right. and in the postseason but they're also what 22 and 20 and they mm-hmm. called up in the most like traumatic year in the history of the planet and so there's like this like really there's a lot of like asterisk 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 to that where it's like and we're oh, spoiled hey. by david price yeah. who has forever broken me on these uh high who went through vanderbilt getting... and i know but that, like yeah. they get promoted into the show in the postseason i expect them to to work the same Right, right. And I mean, Randy is going to spoil a lot of people too. But like, right. he comes up and he's just this guy right away. And then how come you, you know, everybody can't be this. I saw it in Pittsburgh with Cabrian Hayes that like there were questions about the bat all coming through the minors. Then all of a sudden he comes up in September and he's a monster, you know, for average and power. It's like, man, you know, is that sustainable? I don't know, but it, it does, even that small sample size so significantly changes your perception of the player that it really does help to just have a lot of evaluation, a lot of information, a lot of data to kind of fall back back on and information even being just scouting reports from, from the past and scouting, you know, evaluations and everything like that. A guy who fits into the same uh, framework. Uh, we would be remiss not to talk about Shane Boz. Um, your write-up was a uh, tale as old as time. This dude is a Pirates pitcher who throws a two-seamer and he leaves and he stops throwing a two-seamer and now he's good. Um, at the top of the pot, it sounds like maybe the Pirates are moving away from that uh, curse of we make everyone throw a two-seamer. Uh, but I did enjoy reading that in the write-up of like, oh yeah, this is, this is what happened to him. Yeah, that one, that one came pretty naturally for me to write. Um, <laughs> I've told the story elsewhere before on the radio and other podcasts and stuff, but like it killed me to no end to hear Shane Boz. I think when it was, it was with MILB.com when he first got traded and he talked to somebody and it was like, you know, I sat down with the Rays and they told me how great like the spin rate on my fastball was. And he's like, and I didn't even know that coming from the pirates. They wanted me to throw a two seamer instead. And it's one of those things that like I had heard from like the pirate scouts 
in the you know the people who made the decision on draft day that like this guy has a high spin fastball it's really going to play well like you, you know you love to see it at the top of the zone like you know it, it all plays off of that high spin fastball but then he gets into the system and he doesn't have he's not informed of that information and he's not apprised about how to use it and that, that's one thing that stands out about the race development system and just the organization as a whole is the way that they communicate information and make it actionable for these guys so even a kid who is 21 understands what that means and how it can benefit him and you saw him come into big league camp and he looked so mature um, just the way that he pitched despite his age and despite his inexperience that, that's that's another high upside arm that kind of fits in like you said like in that patino mcclanahan type high floor of a late inning relief arm with you know the ceiling of a really really interesting uh, you know top of the rotation type starter if he figures it all out in the command sticks so now i kind of want to jump to the bottom of the list and actually off of the list because okay. the interesting thing with the rays uh, I think Longenhagen had like 46 or 48 for that he did a write-up of some insane number. Um, who just missed your kind of top 30? Or, or if you want to think of it in a different way, who do you think, who are you most excited about that's not on the top 30? I think we wrote Pedro Martinez was the one who was just off the list. Like he's our 30, he's our 31. Um, mm-hmm. So he's one definitely to watch and he could have just as easily been on the list. You know, those last couple of spots, he was in the mix. Uh, Nick Schnell is pretty close um, as far as being in that next group. One of the more interesting arms that kind of came about as I was doing the reporting for this is Sandy Gaston. He was like a real arm speed type of signing who apparently has really started to put it together as far as the velocity and the consistency of the delivery and and the location and all that kind of stuff. He is definitely going to be one that I watch. Um, Caleb Sampin is a name who came out as a potential sleeper, a potential breakout guy. Sure. Um, somebody that they probably could have moved faster in 2019 um, and definitely has the stuff to, to succeed um, wherever they put him. I mean, that's a classic. Year. The Rays just promoted this guy. You've never heard of him. <laughs> right, right. And all of a sudden, he's, yeah, he has like a dominant pitch and it's just, it just completely works for him. Neraldo Catalina, that's another one I want to throw out there. He's uh, the wine guys. mixer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, he's another arm strength uh, kind of fastball velocity type guy that was the guy where uh he he got traded to the Rays, and they were like this is a mets top 15 prospect <laughs> and he's not going to be in the top 50 for this initial raise list yeah, um, and falls in that kind of yeah 37 to 46 50 type range evan edwards another guy they acquired from the marlins in the uh john curtis trade he was in that I think I had yeah, him initially. Yeah, so he's not even uh, – so any trades that happen after I've made my list, I feel like <laughs> – tell me about him. It's I have not researched <laughs> appropriately. Yeah, uh, let me pull up my notes here. He um, he was a guy that the Rays were I, I made on. some I made some Twitter jokes about him, but uh, outside of that uh, – <laughs> What were the subjects of the Twitter jokes? Um, uh, it was uh, Evan is my new best friend. Uh, you know that meme where it's like you cross out the old guy and then this is my new best friend? <laughs> Um, okay. I crossed out Evan Longoria and uh, anyway, never mind. Go yeah. ahead. I have uh, a new Evan in my life. That's right. my point. This is the segment of the pod where we explain memes. We explain in a, in visual a, jokes. Visual jokes in an audio medium. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's this guy. It's clearly a boyfriend walking with a girl, but he's looking at the one behind him. And that's the funny part is that he's not looking and at the one behind him. That's Caleb Sampin. So. Evan Edwards, like, he's the guy that I, Jim Callis had told me, like, because he, I think he does the Marlins system for us. He said the Rays were just basically stalking him uh, all offseason. The guy that they were clearly really interested in. Um, Fascinating. Uh, power over hit right now, but he's got power to all fields. Exit velocity is good. Limited at first, limited to first base, but he's going to play first base and he's going to play it pretty well. Um, 
So that's not like the most exciting profile, probably, you know, mm-hmm. you really have to have like an elite bat to profile on a top 30 list as a, as a first baseman who's limited there, but an interesting player. And it's another one of those things to me that this, this team and this organization does so well that they take somebody like Curtis who might not make the team and might have to get shoved off the 40 man roster at some point, And you turn him into an asset off the 40 man roster who could fill a position of need in a couple of years. And just that constant churn. And even, I mean, it's the same thing with Nate Lowe turning him into Eriberto and Asabe. Um, it's a really interesting churn the way they do things. And the fact that they have tried to set themselves up to contend year in and year out for a long time, this is how you do it. You make smart trades like that, that may not look like much at the time, but they add value to the organization. What about, um, so who are you buying stock in? So if, if the, if the raise prospects, are stocks to invest in like what's your gme what's your amc where are My you going to the money? moon rocket ship to the moon and um, adam barry appraisal not industry appraisal not mlb.com appraisal i mean i think i've probably given sufficient love to shane mcclanahan during all this like yeah i mean i feel it him and tristan gray are your boys <laughs> I didn't necessarily say that, but Tristan Gray's an interesting <laughs> player. Uh, McClanahan is up you can there. You're back. It's fine. Um, Joe, oh, Joe Ryan. We haven't even talked about Joe Ryan once. We did. I was actually peeking at those. I was like, we should probably go through and and invisible fastball. And see yeah. who do, who do we? We barely talked about Vidal Bruhan, uh, future center fielder. Um, Brendan McKay. I don't Brendan know. McKay coming off. <laughs> Hard exploratory to shoulder surgery and then cut his hand open uh i mean i think i did that in college once too so i get it I was um, say, i'm glad that i don't have to explain my injuries because like me just not being able to work for work baseball like, like in hockey it's just like oh lower body injury right <laughs> and then we there's no answer jj goss jj goss feels like a dude who's gonna get traded <laughs> it's one of those prospects that the industry just can clearly look at him and say i know what that is I feel like there's a couple prospects on this list that are almost fungible in that way, in which like uh, the Rays would probably appraise this guy a certain way. And there's not a, a disinformation with the outside, like Greg Jones over the off season, probably there was disinformation or uh, Strutman adds a pitch and you're protecting the rule five draft because, you know, the information is not flowing the right way. I feel like JJ Goss is what he is and it's very easy to understand what he is and therefore i feel like he's getting traded because <laughs> i feel like the outside probably agrees with the internal evaluation i don't know certainly possible i'm not gonna try to say that a 20 year old is gonna have to uh get traded and prepare for that possibility but uh, well, that's not news i'm sorry i'm just trying to I, when i was looking at this list one of the things edwards is one of those for me too now the rays acquired him but it would not shock me if the rays moved him because i feel like everyone has the same appraisal. Now we talked about the range of what the possibilities are, but he is what he is. And there's not like mystery. I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. And when you say that the Rays don't see more on a guy than the rest of the industry sees, then yeah, there probably is more likelihood of somebody being traded. Just because- That's how I approach the list sometimes. As I look yeah. at it, I'm like, who's, who's here and who can I uh, plug into the MLB trade values uh, <laughs> trade machine? So and- cold and calculated. Um, I know that's an interesting sorry JJ if you're listening but Uh, but let's not let's not jump off of Joe Ryan though because that is a guy that does feel like the most razy type of like if you just look at him you're like oh that's he's not but that's the type of guy with a weird thing 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like a Colin Poche type of fastball where you're like, that doesn't jump off the radar. It doesn't even jump off the spin, but there is something to it that is super special. Yeah. And that's where you have to evaluate your own guys and understand what makes them good, which is what the Rays do well, um, which is why I think they trade people at the right time as well. um, And why they place value in the right prospects, which would include a Joe Ryan. Cause that's, I don't know. I, I, again, I wasn't following the system all that closely before this past year, but I would be really curious from you guys, like coming into last spring training, was there like a big Jill Ryan rocket to the moon to yes. borrow your phrase? There was a train? lot of talk. There was enough smoke. Yeah. There was enough smoke that you're like, there is something here. Okay. Like a Taylor Walls almost type of thing where you're like, this guy keeps getting brought up. Sorry. I should have said coming into 2019 before he had that insane, like two ERA where he skipped three levels. Yeah. Uh, I there, mean, so there, there was, was, there was like a lot so of the invisible. Inside, that's like, the, talk. that was the commentary. Yeah. yeah. Was that, um, I mean, so he was in the Cape Cod league. Let me go back in my brain. <laughs> um, wait, we should just go to your write-up. You probably right, 20, walked through it. <laughs> Ryan jumped out of the draft radar during the 2016 Cape Cod league season, but went unselected due to Latin shoulder injuries. I win. It's all right, it's all right there in the write-up, man. Well, you did you put invisible in? No, it was it's no. the Poche fastball, right? It, I remember when Poche was traded for, there was like, oh, this is similar to this kid, Joe Ryan, right? Okay. Um, there were similarities in fastball, but there wasn't a two ERA expectation being slapped on that, right? right. And Poche is the context of a reliever who, if he just picks up a secondary, this is you know something special and you can ride the rocket ship. Right. And that is why I think that question about the secondary and the need for that as a starting pitcher is why he is 14. I got a little bit of grief for having him just internally um, from our own prospect people by having him 14 based on the results and the proximity Mm -hmm. to the majors. Um, But he's done what he's done mostly against lower level hitters uh, with the success of that one pitch, which is unhittable and nasty and gives him again a a high floor and some certainty to a certain extent, because nobody can hit that thing. But you know, upper level hitters are a little tougher, especially when scouting reports get out and there's more film and there's a little bit more information out on you. How is the secondary stuff going to come along? And by all accounts, uh, it's come along really well. And he looked good this spring and he threw a little bit more of it. So that was, that was part of the, the reasoning and having him at 14, because you could very easily make an argument to me, again, a guy who prioritizes floor that like, maybe you put him above Fitzgo and maybe you put him above Wilcox just because of the, the certainty there and the nastiness of that one pitch and the proven results, but still a little bit of, questions as far as the ability to prove it at the upper levels so he's another one who could to the extent that there's room to leap up this list like he's another one who could take a pretty big leap in the midseason re-ranking he's one of the guys i mean everyone suffers from there not being a 2020 season but if triple a happens last year yep and we see what joe ryan looks like in triple a because i mean double a guys can't even hit secondaries i'm not <laughs> you know so if he's fooling them i guess that's fine but like i feel like triple a is going to be the real test Right, right. Once you start seeing those guys who have major league experience getting at bats against them regularly, and there are fewer holes in the lineup, I think yeah. um, that that'll be the big test. But boy, I can tell you that's a guy the Rays are super high on, and I think if this was just the Rays list, like he'd probably be higher up than that. I like that you had a um, the Matt Cain comp on his delivery. You know what's funny is that I, when we did the. I was like, we talked to Joe Ryan in spring training, like the day after I did this profile. So even like. Mark Topkin and even Neil Solons were kind of like, you were really oddly prepared for this Joe Ryan interview, Adam. <laughs> like, how come you had so many questions? He's my cousin. Ryan? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I just threw like shot in the dark, you know, where he grew up and the comps that I'd heard on him. I was like, any chance that like 
you're a Matt Kane fan. Like Matt Kane is like his pitching idol who shares an agent with him. And like, I believe shares an equipment company with him. So like he got Matt Kane signed equipment and like that comparison met a ton to him. Right. But I saw Matt Kane up close and personal in 2011 when I was a, an associate reporter for MLB.com covering the Giants. And it, 2011, honestly, like 2011. Odd year. Correct. That is my luck in life is covering an Come odd on, year of the 2010s Giants team. Um, <laughs> but that, that comparison stood out like the first time I saw the guy and heard about him. So like nobody could explain Matt Kane's fastball, but it had that like, I'm sure now we would say that it has like the rise or like the spin rate or whatever it may be. Um, but it just played so well at the top of the zone, despite the lack of obvious dominant philo- uh, velocity. This seems to be the same thing with Ryan. And it was too crazy to me that like he idolized him growing up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we skipped over Seth Johnson as well. And that actually, that might be the biggest disparity between the D-Rays Bay writers and your list, because we actually put Seth Johnson in the top 10, uh, super aggressive. Uh, maybe we're hearing too much from, uh, from race folks on that one as well. Could be. I mean, that's another one that like the upside is so high, that like y- you could say he's 10, you could say he's above Wilcox and Bitsko and I've, can't really disagree with you necessarily based on the upside there. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just tough for me to do given the lack of innings, basically the lack of information and the lack of kind of scouting data out Mm -hmm. there on him as as far as professional experience, but certainly a guy who I know the Rays are super high on. Um, It also just gets tough to find room for some of these guys in like the top 10 or whatever. If you look at the list and the way that it's all structured and everything, like it's deep. if, If you want to back down from there to like that 18 through 21 mix, I don't like that's it's terrible to me that they're all that low, but like there's just nowhere else to put them above, <laughs> above them, you know, above well, where we they could are be a because... month away. So uh, Franco doesn't really count, right? Uh, he might as well get a zero, not a one. It's it's a different list entirely. <laughs> uh, Patino is almost in, off of this list, mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, right. Rosarena, it's a weird that he's still a prospect. McKay is an inning away from not being a prospect. Uh, Taylor Walls, if Adamas was traded, is no longer a prospect. Um, I I feel like this this list collapses very quickly. Sure, but I mean, then it just speaks to the depth of the system that like the next however many guys up are still going to be like forty or to forty five future value type guys just because they're sure. so good. Like that was a conversation we had in doing the list. Is that like we have the last guy on the list is a forty five overall, which is preposterous. Like that is insane. And I was like are we being too aggressive on these guys? <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Mayo, like my prospect sage just comes down to me and says, you know, there's a top ranked system for a reason. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's reassuring. Thank you. Cause I mean, you know, the information you get in the reports, sometimes you're like, man, am I buying it into the hype too much, but no, <laughs> the hype is real and it's out there for a reason. What's your feel for Taj Bradley? We mentioned him as not being a game. Not crowd, being a game I want to, I want to circle back on him because, uh, I feel like he has believers and then he has doubters. So let me find, I believe he was a guy that I had a really, really positive report on um, from outside the organization. Absolutely. Uh, Um, To read from your profile real quick. uh, One scout said he saw Bradley averaging 95 with huge vertical break on his fastball. Blasting a plus curveball and instructs. Uh, I was ready, ready with the trigger. That was, that was very much the one. Yeah. I mean, just Uh, somebody else said that like every time they see the guy, he gets better. Um, mm-hmm. and so you start to believe in true 12, six curve. Yeah. I mean, you, even you, though the slider is his primary, right. Which is, I mean, if he's developing a legitimate second off speed, 
you know, breaking ball that can be an out pitch, like that's again, like the upside there is crazy. And again, that gives them another high floor too. Whereas if you can't repeat the delivery enough to get out, you know, multiple times through the order, it's a really good reliever, uh, especially if you're, I mean, if you throw 95 with the curveball that he showed in instructs, then like, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting player as it is. Um, so that was kind of the, the genesis of the, the ranking mm-hmm. there is just the, the reports. I mean, he, he, we already knew what he was. There's a really interesting prospect based on what he did, especially in 2019 on the field um, in game action, but then the reports as far as how he used the quote unquote lost year and the way that he looked coming in instructs was uh, right. Strength was up. Uh, what we were hearing is like up to 97, not just well, a sitting 95, right? I think he's your right up. Right. Um, right. He's just getting stronger and stronger. Yep. It, it just getting bigger, getting stronger. seems to have a better feel for what he's doing every time out. Um, a guy who, whether he's taking to the, the data of it or just heating instruction well, like the pitches seem to be taking better shape, a little more refinement to them, playing off of each other better, the whole tunneling type thing. Um, so really interesting. Another guy who if, I'd probably buy stock in him as well. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, that, we need to come. So the only other guy we didn't talk about is Ian Seymour, sort of. So who are you buying stock in now that we've covered the whole 30? It's, it's, it's impossible to limit it to just a few because like, you also get attached to guys when you do this list to like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel like you've heard nothing but good things about them, which is the tough part about of writing about prospects is that like, you generally only mention them when they're good. So like when all of a sudden they fail for the first time, everybody's like, wait, wait, wait a second. This guy's never mm-hmm. made an out and never not had a 10 strikeout game in his entire career. Um, would, would it be easier to short a stock? That's not kind. No, that's, that's, that's a little, I'm not going to put you on that, end. It's Yeah. Fine. It's fine. Um, all right, I'm buying stock around. in Fleming. That's yeah. that's that's gonna be my takeaway. Yeah. Because the, the nice gold, solid yield, safe floor. Absolutely. Ooh, long like term. <laughs> he's he's my rocket mortgage on the. Uh, he's paying a dividend out tomorrow. Um, it's just the better Yarbrough. It's Ryan Yarbrough, but give him Alex Cobb's fastball or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and ground ball percentage. If but you it. can do that, and Yarbrough is throwing second in this race rotation, then where's Fleming if he's better than that, right? Why on earth are we ranking him, you know, in the bottom of the top 20? It's so difficult. Right. Well, it's one of those things too that like, so you look at the fastball grade on him as a 50, but like if you look at that, and a lot of that's based on velocity, which is obviously isn't great, mm-hmm. but what we've tried to be a little more mindful of is like movement characteristics. And if you look at people who threw sinkers last year in the majors, like he had some of the biggest break on his sinker and movement of anybody so like maybe it's you know 40 fastball velocity but it's 60 fastball movement so then we just kind of average it out at a 50 and how you know how that pitch plays but he's a guy who gets hurt by scouting grades essentially as opposed to results and you know it's not the same direct Matt Cain comparison that Joe Ryan gets but it's the same way that it could just be a guy who outperforms his tools or whatever for a long time and it's a really valuable pitcher he's a guy who I would I would agree um, could definitely be ranked higher based on performance, but future value and all that he's 24, probably upside of a three or a four type starter, unless you want to say he's better than Ryan Yarbrough as the number two in this current rotation. Um, <laughs> he's definitely a guy that I would buy stock in as well. Really he's a smart guy knows what he's doing. Like all the intangible stuff as well. Like the makeup is incredible. Um, even if he doesn't eat vegetables, which we've learned this spring. <laughs> very strange thing. He's, le- he's got- getting there. He's learning. Well, that was actually thank, a funny- thank you, Pete Fairbanks. That was a funny thing about like why he had so few offers out of high school is that like he was so skinny because he basically just didn't eat. 
because <laughs> he was such a picky eater. So then he went to the school, built, you know, got in the weight room, built up a little bit more. And then all of a sudden he was this really good prospect coming out of college that turned into a really interesting major league pitcher. Um, he's one so I'd buy stock in for sure. With, with Fleming, that's an interesting spot because he might be on the major league roster. They might leave him down to stretch out like that. There's a bit of game idea there where you need people that can throw multiple innings because you do have a, a very veteran and injury prone. I mean, yep. Colin McHugh, Archer and Rich Hill have all had missed time with injuries or recovering from injuries. So you, and everybody in this year is having to build back up and, and whatnot. So where do you get the sense there with Fleming's role kind of coming in? We're almost to opening day. Do you think he makes it? Do you see maybe like a, a like a, a younger vet? There's uh, like a Trevor Richards or a, or Maza or somebody like that for that multi-inning longer role. What, what's your so sense? I've put Fleming on my opening day roster projections here recently, just because I do think there's going to be room in the bullpen and I do think you'll need innings. And he's such a fascinating guy to me that like, let's say Chris Archer is stretched out to go four innings his first time through or Michael Walk is going to be stretched out to probably go five or six, but you know, let's just say hypothetically, one of those guys is only you're conserving innings to have them go four or five innings your first time out. Like it'd be really interesting to see Josh Fleming coming in after that. Cause it's such a different look. And that's just so clearly the way that they build pitching staffs now is providing different angles on guys. And I do think there is going to be a role for Trevor Richards. They've spoken really highly of him uh, really since, you know, last year, since they acquired him, I suppose at first, but since I came on the beat, I've heard positive things about the way that they, is Trevor this change back? Gonna, Apparently that's, that's, it was hibernating last year. (laughs) Right. And if that pitch is there, then he's really interesting and especially interesting coming off of, let's say three innings of Rich Hill throwing Mm -hmm. fastball curveball from the left side. And then all of a sudden you get fastball changed up from the right side. And that's such a different look that, you know, it's going to be tough for lineups to adjust that I I think there's room for both, frankly. And especially if they're only going to go 12 position players, 14 pitchers on the opening day roster, Um, there is room for more of those multi-inning guys and, Kevin Cash has made it pretty clear they want to prioritize multiple innings from relievers who aren't Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo, and Pete Fairbanks to start the season because you're, you're just going to need them. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, there's room for Fleming. And, you know, you look at just the way that he's come into camp and the way that he pitched last year, like the argument for putting him at the alt site is essentially that, yes, you will probably need a six starter at some point. So why not keep him on a starter's routine? getting built up rather than pitching three or four innings at a time in the big leagues. But to me, that looks like a guy who can help you right now. So I'll be really curious to see what they do with him over the next 10 days. Yeah. The delayed minor league season also complicates it too, because if you're going to keep a guy down to work in games, well, when are games happening? Right. Right. And how much better is he getting and how much work is he getting facing his teammates every five days? And it's the same thing, honestly, a different subject but prospect placement you know when when you're talking about a triple a season that was supposed to begin a month earlier like it would have made a lot more sense to put Juan franco there to start the season because you would be getting game at bats but now that you're going to have the minor league season starting at the same time like doesn't it make a little more sense to have him at double a and taylor walls playing every day at shortstop and triple a etc 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 it's very complicated and in this regard while uh Farm directors and scouting directors don't envy me for having to rank these prospects. I don't envy them for having to make those decisions. So. <laughs> uh, well, you've been so generous with your time. Before we go, is there anything I'm missing? Who, who do we not talk about? Uh, what questions are we not asking you right now? 
Thank you. This was this was really comprehensive. And I mean, yeah, we went through the list. It's a good list. It's a well-researched list. Uh, the quality shows in the writing from someone that uh, is returning to covering the organization. I was personally blown away by the the work that you put in. So, congrats on working two full-time jobs. And it was a lot. It was a lot of fun in the uh, in spring training. Basically, just like you go and you you wake up at seven thirty or whatever, and you do the zooms, and you're at the ballpark, and you watch the games, and you go back, you take out dinner, uh, and you sit in the hotel, and you write <laughs> a lot of prospect <laughs> reports, and you make a lot of phone calls, and you send a lot of emails and texts and everything like that. But honestly, it was super fun. You mentioned just coming in and coming back onto the beat. The organization's changed so much since I left, um, and when I left, you know was when Friedman left and when Madden left and the cupboard was bare or whatever. Um, and what they've done in the last couple of years to rebuild this organization into what is just clearly the envy of baseball is really amazing. And it's really fun to talk about. And I got that sense too, from talking to other people um, outside the organization. They were, like I said earlier, they were so eager to talk about it. I got a lot of jokes that like, how are you only going to rank 30 when they have a hundred guys that you could talk about, <laughs> you know, and, I sent an initial like rough draft list to some evaluators of like 60 people. And they were like, how is this guy not in your top 30? And he's not even in the top 60 list. Like it just speaks to the, the number, the, the quantity of quality that they have in the organization that made it a really fun challenge and a really neat way to kind of get to know the system uh, coming back onto the beat for the first time. So I appreciate the kind words about the, the write-ups and everything. Had a ton of help from Jonathan Mayo, Jim Callis. I mentioned Mike Rosenbaum before who did a lot of the legwork on previous raised lists. Um, and there's just a ton of ton of people uh, throughout the industry inside the organization, especially. So a lot of fun, uh, fun to do. I don't know if we're going to do, if I'm doing the mid season re-rank, but I, we can, we can, <laughs> it might be your job and, now, <laughs> <laughs> right, whether I like it or not, we can certainly revisit this conversation then. And hopefully you guys will still think that it's a good list by then. Yeah. Once 10 guys have, have graduated. All right. Oh, Brent Honeywell. I didn't mention Brent Honeywell where he falls on the list. Oh, sure. Take a full circle. That was the one question we didn't, uh, that was like the one guy on the 30 that we didn't talk about. So I had some people say that Brent Honeywell shouldn't be on the list because of his age and the question marks and the Mm -hmm. uncertainty, basically. It's just say like, put him off the list. He's a a separate thing entirely. And then I had some people saying like, same guy, same upside, like put him top 10. So we kind of split the difference and put him there at 20. He is one who I would buy stock in just purely as a person. Like, I think that that guy's going to get the most out of his ability as long as he's healthy. And I think that having him 20th could look really dumb by the end of this year. Um, but that is about, again, long-term and factoring in injury concerns and everything mm-hmm. like that. But that's one when I just looked at the list and I see Brent Honeywell 20th, and especially on a day like today where you see him go out there and you see him pitch and you're, you're reminded of the upside of the guy. You're like, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that anymore, but you know, that's just kind of where I was coming from with that one to, to bring it full circle here as far as the list in Brent Honeywell. Absolutely. Well, it's the right way to cap off honey day. That's right. Happy honey day to all who celebrate. <laughs> uh, now, if you don't mind me, I'm going to be Winnie the Pooh with my giant jar of honey, only wearing a red shirt. That's how I celebrate in this house. Glad we're doing this on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Top half of the window only. Well, thanks, Adam. Everyone read the list. It's good. Thank you. Thank you to Adam Barry for joining us, for going deep on the race prospect list. You can find all of Adam's writing at MLB.com and at RaysBaseball.com. You should read that top 30 prospect list. It is good. It is well-researched, and he knocked out of the ballpark. For Darby Robinson, my name is Dana Russell. Thank you for listening.
read, rate, and subscribe. What isn't that? No, I'm sorry, Brett. What? Yeah, <laughs> Brett, if you want it, you can put it in. We're not going to tell you what to do with your lives. No. Good luck editing this, man. <laughs>